Let's free associate. Are you ready? Got your mind in the right spot? Here it is. What goes through your mind when you think about rest? What does rest mean to you? And maybe a more important question, how do you obtain it? Now, perhaps it would be good to ask yourself if you are a restful soul. I'm talking about soul noise. We live in a crazy world, and our noise and our souls can be so amped up that we do not have rest. Knowing how to rest and being at rest are essential in our fearful and frenetic world. And though Christians should be the most restful of all humanity, it's not a given, which is why practically thinking about rest is worth our time, and that's what I want to do in this podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Rick Thomas. You're listening to Life Over Coffee. Thank you so much for being here. The title of this podcast is, Are You a Restful Soul? How to Enter God's rest. I want to take a look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Perhaps it would be a good passage for you to reflect upon uh, as you study this particular podcast and the article that I have for you. Please go to our ministry's website and you can read the article. Again, Are You a Restful Soul? How to Enter God's Rest. And may uh, this podcast, that article, Hebrews 1 through 11, as the Hebrews are standing on the Jordan River. They wanted to be people of faith. They did not want to be disobedient, and they believed. They believed that God had delivered them, and so all they had to do, in addition to their belief, they had to obey by passing over the river and entering into God's rest. I want to talk about that because over the past couple of years, I've been very hard for everybody, no exception. And it's very difficult for many of us. And and people do come to us and they they talk about the the fearfulness and, and the things that are going on in their lives. And as the storm continues to hover over our lives, they they're weakened in their faith and their soul noise is amped up. And they they do not they are not experiencing the kind of rest that God offers. And as I get into this, uh, and get into this podcast, I do want to share a couple of uh, testimonies that have come in, and then I'll jump right into the the podcast. But uh, there's a gentleman who came to our ministry this week. His name is Surrender. That's not his his real name, and that's fine. When you jump on our forums, you can make up any name that you wish if that's your desire. And so Surrender said this. He says, "I have read most all your articles many times over." You're always surgically specific and keenly aware of God's heart intentions with all your responses. I praise God for your ministry. And I praise God for your testimony. Uh, Surrender, thank you so much for sharing that. And then Ellie wrote in, and she said, Rick's book on suffering, which is Suffering Well, that is the title of it, his book on suffering is one of my favorites. I enjoy getting updates from Rick and always value the material he provides. I recommend him often. I love your ministry. God bless you as you serve our Lord. Thank you so much, Ellie. It is me, and it is our team. There are 10 of us at this point that are working together at different places around the United States, but forming one team. And I'm thankful that you and Surrender are benefiting from our ministry. 
And one of the reasons that I wanted to share those two testimonies is because I want our financial partners to hear that. I want them to know that God is impacting these two individuals because of their partnership with us financially. They underwrite this ministry, which allows us to give all of our resources away. And that is our goal, to to wrap the world every day as we do, but we cannot do that without our financial partners. And so I want I wanted them to hear from Surrender, whoever this person is, and then also from Ellie as well, and know that God is doing a good work through this ministry. And I trust this podcast will be similar, so let me jump into it. Again, the title of it is, Are You a Restful Soul? How to Enter into God's Rest. Now, I want to begin by giving you a few illustrations of individuals who are not restful. And perhaps you can find yourself in one of these scenarios. But if you don't, I'm going to share five with you. But if you don't find yourself in one of these five scenarios, then would you just take the time to consider a few of the factors that may infringe upon your mind and also your calendar that keep you from the prize of being at rest even in the storms of life? And that's the juxtaposition that I want to work through In this entire podcast, I am not going to dissociate rest from the storms of life. Actually, I'm going to conflate them because that, in reality, is how life is. We can never separate, dichotomize rest from storms because life is not that amenable to our desires. There is a more permanent eternal rest that is coming. But we will not enjoy the fullest expression of that rest until we get there. But that rest has come back. It has come back in part to present day through the gospel. And so it is, it is possible to enjoy rest even while in the storm. Now, if that's not the case with you, then this is the podcast for you. Here are five scenarios just to get us started A husband comes home from a long day at work and crashes in front of the television. A wife hustles from the car line at the school where she just dropped off her kids to rendezvous with a friend at Starbucks. A friend is struggling through life. She finds rest through medication. The disappointments are steady. A teen spends a couple of hours surfing the net a routine that helps him escape his world's madness. And then finally, number five, a family leaves for their planned vacation. A week later, they collectively crash and crave another week to recover. These attempts to find rest have in common how the different strategies, all of these different strategies, are cultural, not biblical. The average worker lives for the weekend as though the primary purpose of the weekend is a time of rest. Most people perceive rest as a behavioral escape from life rather than a permanent condition of the soul. If you do not make that distinction, then you will have trouble thinking about and pursuing rest because you will see it more as a behavioral time of relaxation. I'm not kicking that to the curb. It's important to pull away and sleep 
take a power nap. But ultimately, the running theme, the tone, the vibe that has to run underneath, uh, uh, underneath our lives, throughout our lives, is a condition of the soul. Wrong thinking about rest is what makes it so elusive. If we don't know what it is, we will not find it. Rest is not the purpose of weekends primarily. Our culture concocted weekends to get away from work, not as a cure for the rest problem. And and that's why you see people dragging in on Monday morning because they did whatever their thing is to do to rest, to get away from work. They dichotomize rest and work. That's not how it works if you really want to find true rest. When the Bible talks about rest, it never speaks about weekends, vacations, evenings out, catching a movie, or any other commonly perceived idea that is supposed to refresh us. Now, I'm not throwing all of these out with the bathwater. Enjoy your weekends, your vacations, your evenings out. Catch a movie if you wish, or whatever commonly perceived idea that you have. But know this. Seeking escapes from stress is different from entering into rest. Now, let me press the point further. Weekend retreats, Bible conferences, youth camps do not necessarily give us the Bible's version of rest. Biblical rest is not a punctiliar action, a moment in time, in the timeline of life. Biblical rest is a gift the Lord gives you regardless of the relationship or the context. In Mark 4:38, interesting verse that you're familiar with, it goes like this. He was in the stern, the he here is Christ, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? The context of our lives is a storm and you are resting. They tried to dichotomize that. Jesus did not. There were several men on a boat in a storm. One of them was sleeping. The rest of the people were frantic, fearful, and faithless. One of them knew the secret to rest. In the storm, the others anticipated a time of rest after they escaped the storm. Are any of us like those disciples? Our storm is possibly a job, a marriage, a family, a church, church life, peer pressure, economic struggles, persecution of various kinds, as well as other disappointing events and troubling people in our lives. We're not in boats, but we are in storms. And sleeping in storms, as Jesus did, is as foreign to some people as Jesus dying on a cross to save us. Is your native thought, like the disciples, to escape your troubles so that you can be at rest? The temptation to believe rest will come after the storm passes is common, but soul noise and recovery from soul noise do not happen that way. In Ecclesiastes 1.8, Solomon talked about the the trouble of life and how it it really continues throughout our life. He says all things are full of weariness. I mean, all things is kind of comprehensive, isn't it? He says all things are full of weariness in Ecclesiastes 1.8. A man cannot utter it. I mean, the eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. We have these insatiable appetites. It keeps us moving and churning all day long, and all things are full of weariness. 
searching for rest by changing venues, searching for rest by changing circumstances is like chasing a mirage in a desert. What we think we see will not satisfy, and what we hope to hear will not fulfill. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, the ear is not filled with hearing. It will leave us weary. And this kind of worldview, this type of pursuit, this kind of practice is carnal. It's insatiable. Our quest for the culture's version of rest will not bring pleasure. And then as our bodies continue to waste away, I'm in that crowd now, we'll become increasingly hardened, more cynical, more frustrated and hopeless. If we do not know... And if we do not practice the Lord's version of rest, for those troubled souls, God quickly becomes a faint byline that leaves them giving up and despairing. Well, Solomon eventually got there, and as he moved from Ecclesiastes 1.8, where all things were full of weariness, a man cannot utter it, he moved to the last chapter, number 12, verse number 1, and he gives us, he starts introducing us to the key. He says, remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them, for all young people take heed. This is preventative. This is preemptive. Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. If you situate yourself in some of the things that I'm teaching in this podcast, uh, you will set up your life trajectory in a, such a wonderful way. And so in Hebrews 4, uh, we're standing on the banks of the Jordan River, and we're about ready to enter into rest, but we know that entering into rest for them was not, they were not going to be vacating, vacationing in in Jerusalem for the rest of their existence. No, they were going to be fighting. And so it says in Hebrews 4.11, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Do you see the juxtaposition Isn't it ironic that the juxtaposition of work and rest, let us therefore work to enter rest. Those two things are conflated. Rest is a provision from the Lord, not something found in the Lord, uh, found in the world, rather. God is the author and dispenser of rest. And thankfully, he planned for his children to enter into his rest. God's priority for our rest is a serious matter that requires our utmost attention because the devil broke the shalom of our souls, broke the shalom that our souls crave in Genesis 3-7. And that's why there are temptations to find peace, shalom, rest, satisfaction through man-centered methods. But it won't happen that way. Paul gives us a clue. Philippians 4, 7, the peace of God, which surpasses our understanding. It will guard our hearts. It will guard our minds in Christ Jesus. And so to rest and to rest biblically is to be godlike. He rested too. You remember Genesis 2, 2 and 3, verses 2 and 3, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done, verse 3. So God blessed the seventh day. He made it holy because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. 
Now, please get this. The rest that we're talking about in Genesis 2 was not from exhaustion when God rested on the seventh day from his creative acts. Remember, God is omnipotent. So there's not a contradiction here, and so we have to interpret Scripture according to our understanding of our theology, and we know that God is the all-powerful one. So it's not even remotely possible for God to get tired. So this rest here, God was not tired. God took a rest of satisfaction rather than a break because he felt physically whooped. Work and rest are not at odds with each other. The Lord never stops working. If, if the Lord stopped working, everything would collapse on itself. God never stops working, and he is always at rest. That's why I was saying earlier to rest is to be godlike. If you want true rest, if you want to work, to enter into rest, and if you do it, then you will have a godlike rest, which means you can continue to work and always be at rest even in a storm. Creator God found rest or satisfaction from forming the world. The rest he took after he had created the world was a rest of satisfaction a rest of contentment, a rest of pleasure as he reflected upon his acts. And if these three descriptors make up the constituency of your soul, then you're experiencing rest. Satisfaction, contentment, pleasure, these things will give you rest. God was not taking a break. He was not looking toward the weekend. Let's go back to Hebrews 4. And perhaps it would be good to open the Bible at some point as you think about this, work through this podcast, read the article, the embedded links, read Hebrews 4, 1 through 11. The writer said, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. When the world thinks about rest, their thoughts almost always go toward self-centered, individualized relaxation the pursuit of personal enjoyment. This kind of rest has a a separation from community component to it. Now, please, I understand there can be some benefit from taking breaks from people, and I get that. I, I want that from time to time. I think all, all biblical counselors want to get away from people from time to time. But this kind of rest that the Lord wants is different from that. You see, it says, let us therefore strive. Let us. It has a community appeal to it. The rest of the passage in Hebrews 4, 1 through 11, it it speaks of community language like that. Us, them, they. The writer is not talking to a person, but a body of individuals. He is appealing to us, you and me, to rest. It's not a call for an individual to chill out for a while on an island but to collectively enjoy rest as a right and as a privilege for the whole body of Christ. We need to be helping each other to collectively enter into God's rest, spurring one another on to get to this wonderful place of working to rest. The kind of rest God is calling us to is a communal rest. The Lord wants all of his children to enjoy his rest. We are the body of Christ, and we all should be working hard to find this rest. You want to encourage your friends this way, your spouse, your children, your parents, 
extended family, those who name the name of Christ, your local church. You want to encourage them that you all work together to find this kind of rest. How beautiful. And though we will benefit from the fullness of this rest in heaven, as I was saying earlier, we can enter into this rest today. God's forever future and perfect rest-filled world has come back into our present day through the person and work of Christ, the gospel. Where shalom was broken in Genesis 3, 6, and 7, God has given us the gospel to where we can enter into rest today, not fully realized as it will be in our eschatological future. It's not entirely here, but it is indeed here. We can enjoy the eternal reality of rest right now. The community of God can partake in his eternal, unshakable rest while we wait for the total enjoyment of it in the future. And so going back to those men on the boat, they said to Jesus, or Jesus said to them rather, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? You see, those who don't have rest have a faith-believing problem. And they were, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who, who, who then is this that even the wind and sea obey him? What if the Son of God did not have rest in the storm? What if the Son of God was just as frantic and fearful as his friends were on the boat on that dark and stormy night? That would be awful if Christ were like them. If Christ were like you and me, if that were the case, then their reaction to him would be different, obviously. If, if, if he was like them, they would not have reacted in, in such a startled and shocking way. You see, the gospel is counterintuitive to our way of living. The rest that God gives, as we see exemplified on that dark and stormy night, the rest that God gives is radically different from what the world expects and seek. That's why they were so shocked, because they were acting carnal. There is a reason for this. God is glorified. I mean, this is why God wants us to enter into his rest. He is glorified when we truly enter into his rest. If Jesus had acted like them, he would not be worth following. I don't want to follow someone who acts like me. Who wants to follow someone who can have their shalom so easily discombobulated? We do not need the rest the world can offer. We need the rest that God provides. Not accessing God's rest it is what makes a lack of God's rest so dangerous. To not have it or not to enter into it is to make a joke out of the work of Christ. I mean, imagine you're standing on the, the banks of the Jordan River, but yet you do not believe and you do not act in faith. Imagine that we say we do believe in the gospel, but yet we do not have God's rest. Think about all the work the Lord went to to give the children of Israel rest. To not enter God's rest is like trampling the blood of Jesus under our feet. To stand on the wilderness side of the Jordan River, refusing to obey the Lord by not entering into his rest, is high treason. Finding and enjoying the Lord's rest is a matter of faith and obedience. 
And so as you think about rest, as you think about your lack of it, if that is the case, then the two words that you must focus on are faith and obedience. The Hebrew writer called it disobedience. Listen in Hebrews 4, let us therefore strive to enter into that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. The Hebrew writer called it disobedience. When the winds and storms come into our lives and we are resting like Christ on the boat in those challenges, God is exalted, we are satisfied, and other people are amazed. And that's exactly what happened on that boat. God was exalted. Jesus was obviously satisfied as he was resting in the storm, and, of course, the people were amazed. And so we are not diminishing his work in us, but we're drawing attention to the greatness of our God. When we rest in storms, we're drawing attention to the greatness of God. We are making a bold statement about our satisfaction in him and how it overpowers our situational difficulties And then our confidence in God is otherworldly shalom that surpasses human comprehension. God is exalted, we are satisfied, and the world is amazed. And just as the disciples ask, who then, (laughs) who then is this? Our spheres of influence will be just as perplexed and hopefully just as curious about what's up with us. Don't you want to give your friends a taste of something different from waiting for a dissatisfying weekend? And so that begs the question, how are you striving for God's rest in a world where there is no rest and no possibility of rest? Let me wrap up this podcast by going back to the other side of the Jordan River. There's a passage of Scripture in Joshua 2. It's the last verse of Joshua 2, verse 24, and the first verse of Joshua 3, verse number 1. And it's interesting because in verse 24, we see their faith. They believe that they can do this, enter into rest. And then when you turn the page to 3.1, they actually do it. Faith and obedience. These are the keys for us to enter into God's rest. So here's what the text says. In Joshua 2.24, and they said to Joshua, listen to their faith here. Truly, the Lord has given us all the land into our hands and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. Do you hear their faith? We need for the gospel to, to give us that kind of boldness and hope and confidence and belief and faith. Truly, the Lord has given us all the land into our hands, and also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. That's faith. And then you turn the page to chapter 3, verse number 1. It says this, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out for Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. That's obedience. And those are the two keys for God's rest. I'm not talking about the weekend stuff, the vacation stuff, uh, the 
lounging on the couch stuff. I'm talking about God's type of rest, entering into rest. It's a faith and obedience thing. Do you see what Joshua and his friends did to enter into God's rest? They believed, one, and they obeyed, two. That's it. Think about it this way, the converse. Unbelief and disobedience means the Lord has not given all the land into your hand, and you are not going to rise early in the morning and set out for God's rest. And so if you have soul noise, if you are not experiencing rest, even in the conflict, whether it's the dark and stormy night in a boat, or you're standing on the side of a Jordan, on the Jordan River about to enter into conflict, unbelief and disobedience will not give you the rest. You see, James kind of hinted at this in James 2.17. He says, so also by faith, uh, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And so faith causes works. And then works points back and affirms faith. You enter into rest by obedience and belief. Obedience is about radical, believing dependence on God, which is what it takes to join the rest in the here and now. A couple of questions, one about faith, the other about obedience. Number one, do you believe you're more than a conqueror because of him who died for you? It's a very practical question. You're standing on the banks of the Jordan River. Do you believe? Do you have faith? Number two, will you take the step? Will you enter into his rest as an act of obedience as you base your faith on the gospel? Rest is not about laziness, but working because of God's provision, it highly motivates us. We anchor biblical rest in the character and work of God. You have been listening to Life Over Coffee with Rick Thomas. If you have a question for Rick, you can let him know by sending him a note through his website, rickthomas.net. That's rickthomas.net. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your coffee.